We are celebrating Africa, but we are also celebrating God's goodness in Africa, God's grace uh, in our continent, and we, we, are, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are we are seeing what God has done in our, in, our, in our nations, in our countries. We know that Africa has been known or has been declared or has been proclaimed by other continents or by other people as a dark continent, as a, as a poor continent, and, and, all, and all sort of things. I remember uh, last year when, when we interacted with some, uh, some guys from other countries who passed away in uh, in, 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 in New York, one of the things that was, I was shocked because some of them were, were, were professors, but they still believe that uh, in Africa we, we have uh, giraffes in our backyard, uh, we've got rhinos uh, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our yards, and, and we, 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 we walk barefoot, and we don't listen to other things, we, we are not even exposed to the World Wide Web and stuff like that. So, there's been a lot of things that have been said about Africa. Africa has been, or people have been calling Africa as a poor continent. If you want to get rich in other countries, you just say, I'm feeding the poor in Africa. Everybody will give you money because uh, Africa just uh, activates compassion and giving. Uh, we've been known or we've been called a charity case. We've been known for wars. We've been known as people who are intolerant, people who can't live together, who are barbaric. But all those things uh, that have been said, some of them we have witnessed, some of them we have never witnessed, but whether they are there or not, but what we have been witnessing also in Africa is that we've been seeing the hand of God. We have seen, we've been seeing God walking through and working through our beautiful continent. And we've been seeing God in particular working through the church in transforming our continent, in transforming the world. Amen. Amen. Um, some of you know that I, I, I love politics. I, I love uh, uh, looking at different perspectives and worldviews. And one of the interesting ones uh, was when there was a question posed by one of the African uh, 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 champions of transformation uh, in, in, in a dialogue in Berlin. And, and she was asking, why is it that uh, uh, our, our minerals and our, and our great currencies are equal to, to one Western currency. Uh, we will produce gold and all these things, but uh, they just equal one Western currency. And then when I was looking at that, something in me wanted to respond politically, but I discovered that no, actually, uh, in, in, in seasons and in times, God wants to allow people to go through processes so that when they build, they build knowing what is their value and what is their worth. Sometimes we cry for the troubles and the pains that we experience without actually looking at what God is doing and what God is teaching us and how can we learn from there. If, if you look uh, around the world, uh, in the past we used to know that the West would come and bring missionaries to Africa to bring the word and stuff like that. But if you look into the West, you see that the West is no longer missionaries. You see that in the West, that's where all other religions are much growing, and what, what we used to know the West as is no longer there. And now that's why Africa is going out to the West and reaching out to people and, 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 and laying foundations and discipling people because there is something great in being an underdog. There is something great in being a person or in being a nation that grows in obscurity. 
Uh, uh, that's why even as believers, we, we, we don't have to run away from times and seasons of obscurity when nobody knows you, when nobody recognizes what you are effective of, when nobody sees any great potential, but allowing God to work in your life, to work in your space, and to polish you for his purposes so that when the time is right, you will come out testifying and speaking of transformation that has happened in your life, that has transformed you, that has worked in your life. And that's what I believe that God has been doing in Africa. All the wars, all the pain, all the sufferings, all the hatred, all that, all that, all the ills and all the aches, even 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 the privileges that most African countries are enjoying. I know this is controversial. <laughs> uh, I was once asked by another person, "What is a black privilege?" And my response was, "The biggest black privilege is pain." And victimhood, because we, we thrive in it. If if I want to cause trouble, I will behave like a victim. I will do something wrong. If you are of another race, I will be like, oh, you 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 are, you are doing that to me because I'm black. You are racist. So that's a privilege of Afri- of of black people in Africa, which we need to get rid of. <laughs> which is not God. Which is not kingdom. Every time we are reprimanded by other racial groups, we feel like we are suffocated. And this privilege of pain. Say, you don't know my pain. You don't understand my pain. I I grew in a broken home. Let me tell you, I've interacted with a number of people. And I've seen a number of people of other races who grew up in broken homes. So we we don't have a monopoly of pain. (laughs) We don't have a monopoly of victimhood. But as we go through those things, we need to learn that it makes us human and it makes God God because he comes and speaks into our pain regardless of our race and our color, regardless of our background because he is a God of all creation. But we, we also do not need to forget that we, we, we've, 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 we've come through some pains, especially in South Africa, we've come through some pains. We have come through some issues where we really need to work hard as a body of Christ to be the model of transformation. Especially in South Africa, we have seen a number of attempts by politicians, by those in authority, to try and transform by putting policies and, 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 and political directions and, 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 and governing structures. Let me tell you, Bazalwan, it is not those things that transform the nation. It is the heart of people that have been transformed by God that will shape nations and transform people. That, that, that is why when we, when we relate with each other, we don't relate in a fabricated, we don't fabricate relations, we, not, we don't fake it. We pursue each other genuinely because we understand that it is God who is working in us. That is why we, 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 don't, have, we don't have racially divine uh, connect groups. We don't have white connect groups or Zulu connect groups, Kosa connect groups, Nigerian connect groups. No, what do we have? We have believers connect groups. We have, a, we have connect groups where saints are meeting. And, and, and as we do that, we, we must know that we, we start from, a, from an advantage point. If you read the book of Acts, you discover that when the church started in Jerusalem, they didn't have the beauty of what we have to be a multicultural space. It was a monocultural. Every time when we say the believers grew, uh, they were devoted in the apostles' teachings. Uh, they, 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 they were in unity. They loved one another. There was a space of a monocultural church. They were all Jews. 
They were all from the same background. They were all understanding the same thing. That is why if you continue reading the book of Acts, you discover when, when, when Paul is being raised by God as an apostle to the Gentiles, when there is now conflict, because others who are Jews, who are converted, who are Christians, who wanted them to succumb to Jewish customs for them to be Christians. And there was that discussion until God had to reveal a vision to, 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 to Peter, where he, 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 he threw a, 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 a bowl with, with different animals which he thought were, un, were, 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 were defiled. They were not supposed to be, to, be, to be consumed or to be partaken in. And then we see God saying to him, look, don't declare what I've purified. Defiled. And from there, we see the church transforming. We see now elders being set in place to deal with disputes because... Uh, widows and other orphans were non-Jews, were not treated equally. So we see segregation being addressed in the church, being addressed in the body of Christ. So what we have here is something beautiful and something unique, which even the, 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 the original church or the first church did not have at first. It developed through the process. There were conflicts that gave birth to that. But we thank God we all came here willingly. We all came here, not pursuing our own, but we came here because we love this God. We love this diversity. We love what God is doing. And that's how we, we, we have to build as a model of transformation. Let's read. Uh, I can see that there is some flames around. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 60, verses 3 and 14, then we, we continue. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 3 and 14. If I had time, I was going to ask us to read in different languages, in different, uh, but because of time, I will just try and behave. I, I want to, to behave. Uh, I'm records these days. So I want to break a record. I want to maintain it. And oh. um, Verse number three says, Nations will come to your light and the kings to, your, to the brightness of your dawn. The children of your oppressors will come bowing before you and all who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Let me read again. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The children of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Father, we thank you that your word is alive, it's powerful. It is impactful, Lord. We pray that you impact us and work in our lives through your word and shape us as we pursue your, your righteousness as we pursue who you are, Lord God, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we see in this scripture, which is in the book of Isaiah chapter 60, if you read that whole chapter, it is a, it is a prophetic chapter which is filled with commands of transformation, with commands and commissioning of a new beginning. It, 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 it uproots certain things that were, were, were deeply entrenched in that culture in that culture where there was a feeling of being people that are 
are, 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 are exiled or people that are in captivity who have, not, who have no significant impact and influence at the face of the ills of their season. But we see that here God is actually making a declaration and, 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 and a prophetic call to say there is something great in you. There is something great that I'm going to do around you in the face of all the challenges that may, may, may seem to be great and broad around you in the moment. And what we see here, we see God calling the church or the believers uh, as the light. And he says, nations will come to your light. So, in other words, he's saying, there is something I want to activate and expand through you that has to attract the nations of the world to you. That has to attract people that may have not journeyed with me, people that may, may have not experienced my love and my, and my grace and my compassion, where they will have to come and build and enjoy the journey of walking with me. So he's saying even the kings will come to your to, to, to your brightness, to the brightness of your dawn. So he's actually saying, there is something great that is emerging. But this thing is not just for you to enjoy as the city of the Lord. It is not something that you need to enjoy as believers in the kingdom. But it is something that we need to transport into our world. It's something that we need to transport into, a, into different portions and parts of our society. One of the biggest challenges when I was reading the scripture was that, but, but how does God expect us to really be this light in the face of so much evil? When even the church itself in, in, in our nation or in our continent is so divided in terms of perspectives, in terms of how we do things. Even though we see that the church is also seeming to be at the center of controversy and all the things that are, are not godly and that are not even towards the kingdom of God. If you want to look at gimmicks, you come into this space called church, you see a lot of gimmicks. You see people uh, behaving like magicians. You see people behaving like... They, 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 there is a lot of, there is a lot of uh, corruption or, or ungodliness that is even running through this institution called church. So when, when you say, when God is saying we are the, we, we are the light and is bringing people to our light, the first thing is, but is, is our light not contaminated by all these things? Are, are, we, are we really credible enough to stand and say we are the light of the Lord in the face of all these things? We, we see scandals every day that are around how church people or how believers or how people who are in authority are abusing that authority. But God is saying, in the midst of all that, one thing that he wants us to pursue is to make sure that the light that he has planted in us, the life that we have received from Christ, is, is expanding and it's growing within us and, and it starts to shine and it starts to attract people of the world and the nations to come for counsel, to come and check how do you do it. And, and I believe that this scripture is so relevant to where we are as a nation, as a continent, as the people of God. We are in a space where there is no hope around authority. 
where everything is messed up. You look into our political systems, they are shaky. You look into our economies, they are shaky. You look into our family structures, they are shaky. You look into our education system, everything is shaking around. Everything doesn't seem to be, to be absolute. There's nothing that, that says we have hope. There's going to be growth tomorrow. There's going to be increase tomorrow. But God is calling us to become the light in the midst of that. He's calling us to stand firm and allow him to work in our lives and transform us as he transforms our society and our world. And, and Jesus puts it very well in, in, when, when he speaks to his disciples in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So he's actually saying, because you are already declared to be the light of the world, there is something unique about you. Because I have declared you to be the light of the world, everything you do now will impact the world. So if, 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 if your light is not fueled, you will, you will actually appetize the world with beauty and with light. And then after that, when they come for that, because there is not sufficient oil, it will just die. And many people will be in disaster because you don't understand your role and your responsibility as a believer. It is not a mistake that God has placed us in different places in life. It is not a mistake that God has placed you in that career, in that campus, in that family, in that community, in this city. God has placed us in these platforms and in these forums where we are because he really wants to make sure that our light or the light which comes from him manifests in every angle, in different spaces. When, when evil people are coming to the political space, they must find the light of God in politics. When they run into business, they must find the light of God in business. When they, lie, when they run to academic spaces and think, no, we can come up with other isms and ologies, they find the light of God there. If they come to, to the recreational or creative space, uh, whether be it media or art or, or sports, when they get there, they encounter the same light. If they go to the entertainment spaces, wherever they go, we must, we must close rank. So said politician, close rank. Comrades, we must close rank. <laughs> Make sure that every space is closed because we are the light. And, 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 and this means the nations, we will come to the church for knowledge. So, in other words, we have a task to do. We need to be knowledgeable as the people of God. So, in other words, that is why God says to Joshua, when he, when he allows him to start leading, he's saying to him, make sure that this book of the Lord shall not de- is not departing from your mouth. He says, meditate upon it day and night. Make it your portion. If we are going to be the light, the first thing that we need to establish in our lives is the knowledge of truth. That is why you can't be a believer who is pursuing to be the light of the world and you don't meet with other believers. That is why we've got this thing that we call engage. That is why we engage. We are an engaging church. We engage with the lost. We engage with each other. That is why we've got this thing called connect groups because connect groups are not just social clubs or social gatherings. They are the platform where iron sharpens iron because we are the light of the world and there is an expectation for us to represent kingdom. In a correct way. So we, you can't acquire godly knowledge and godly counsel if you are a lone ranger. Lone rangers do not survive in the kingdom of God. 
Hi, tell your neighbor. Neighbor? Lone Rangers? Do not survive in the kingdom of God. Because the, the kingdom of God is a kingdom where it's not just about you and your relationship with God. It's about you and your relationship with God, but it's also about you and the relationship you have with believers. Because God's kingdom is about people. God's grace is about people. God's love is about people. People matter to God. They should matter to us. People are at the center of what God is doing. And they they should be at the center of what we are doing. But also what we are learning from this scripture is that when 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 we are called a church, how we build life as believers, we must build it making sure that we understand our role in all spheres of human life in order to bring nations to the source of truth and life and wisdom. We need to understand that there is that comprehensive building, comprehensive building of who God is through our lives that will transform the lives and, and give wisdom and light to the nations. But also, we understand that through this, we know that the church is an orderly arrangement of human life. When, when God created the church through Jesus Christ on the cross, it's because other methods were tried. They did not work. God even allowed Israel to have kings. Authorities did not work because there was no relationship. And that's why God presented a new model. And that model was through a church, which is a body of believers whose head is Christ. So that our thinking and our action and everything that we do comes from the source, which is always sober, which is Christ. He is, not, he is not driven by emotions. He is not driven by circumstances. He is not driven by anger and rage, but he is driven by love and passion. Benefits. Thank you. Because let me tell you about that one. For some of us, we think church as that establishment that facilitates uh, systems uh, of meeting every Sunday. That's not church. Some of us, we think church is where we come on Sunday, we sing, we jump around, we cry, we go home, we do our life as normal, we hate people as normal, we, 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 we connive against people as normal, we do wrong things as normal, we bribe, we do everything, and then we come back on Sunday, we, 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 we remove that dust and say, Lord, forgive me as I enter your house, uh, forgive me, uh, and give me another chance. That's not church. Church is where we are gradually developing ourselves Becoming the system of God to transform the world. Becoming the vehicle of God that transforms the world. He knows that there are people around you. He knows that there are people that you live around who will never see transformation from a book. Who will never see transformation from TV or from radio. But they will read this book which is you. They will read this book which is me. They will see this TV which is me and you. And that only at that time, when they interact with us, they discover the, the depth and the riches of the kingdom of God because God is working in our lives and is transforming us. Amen. So, what, what systems are we building, Bazalwan? So, if we are to transform society and we are to transform nations, if we are to be an impactful uh, breed of believers, if we are going to be impactful individuals, the first thing we need to do is to analyze our, the reality that is among us. Analyze the reality among us. What is happening around us? We live amongst people that are angry, that are bitter, that are segregated. 
We live among people that, that are always looking for excuses of not doing things. We live among people that are always quick to jump into condemning others when it comes to them. They want to reject condemnation. We, we live amongst a nation or, or society that is not principled. When, 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 when people see wrong, they are easy to say, this is wrong. When it comes to them, they say, no, do not judge. And that is why I always say, I love the, 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 the scriptures because they don't contradict themselves. Jesus says, do not judge. And then he paused. Some people, they take that pause as a full stop. He says, do not judge. And then he pauses. He takes a breather. He said, but when you judge, he doesn't say, if you judge. He says, when you judge. Because he knows that it is in our nature to judge. Actually, we, you, you can't do life without judging. That is why we discern, we assess things, and we judge between wrong and right. So we are people of judgment. But let me tell you what happens after the pause. Jesus says, if you judge, the same measure that you use shall be used against you. So that's the part we are missing. There is nothing wrong with saying this is wrong. The only thing is that if you say this is wrong, when it's said towards you that you, there is wrong, be willing to receive it and embrace it in the same breath you released it. Because that, that's a deception of the devil. He doesn't want us to confront things. So he makes us to be apologetic. Let me tell you, Bazalwan, one of the reasons I confront wrongs is because when I'm in the wrong, I want to be confronted. I want to be rebuked. So if I don't want to be rebuked, if I just want to be a I'll just act like a good one. No, we are all imperfect. Yes, we know we are all imperfect, but we are all pursuing perfection. So if you are in the pursuit of perfection, it means you already know what is right and what is wrong. Because we wouldn't be pursuing perfection if everything was okay. Then we would already be perfect. Then there is no need for grace. There is no need for the love of Christ. But we are pursuing perfection, which means there will always be elements of development that are needed in our lives. There will, there will always be a need for us to analyze our reality. That is why we say, if you are a believer, look into your heart. How does it feel when you interact with other races who are not believers? Because it's easy in the church to hug other races and other, and other, and other tribes and other groups. But in, in, in your space where you work, where you study, you despise them, you look down upon them, you call them oppressors, you call them thugs, you call them whatever. Because you think it's just not my reality. Huh? In church... We are one. We're going to heaven. But let me tell you, some of the people that need to go to heaven with us are unbelievers who hate us, are some who, are, who, are, who have stereotypes. But we can't be the same people who are calling people into the kingdom, but you also still have stereotypes. Analyze the reality. How is your heart conditioned? When people talk about white supremacy, what comes first in your mind? When people say white people are oppressors, what comes first to your mind? Do you, can, do you believe that every white person is an oppressor? If that's how you believe, I want to tell you, examine yourself. If you believe that all black people are lazy, they are weak, they are unreliable, examine yourself. 
if you believe that all Indian people are crooks. <laughs> Examine yourself. There are many stereotypes that we have that we enjoy. And if we don't analyze our reality, we will fail at the platform of reaching out to other people. Some people can't even reach out to a person of another tribe because they have so much stereotype in their minds. When they see any person who is not like them, they see an enemy, they see someone who is not worthy of God's love. That's why I always say, I applaud those people who, who have married cross-culturally. Whether the same, the same race or different races, if you are not married to a person of your, own, of your own culture, I applaud you. You are a great one. Because, because, let me tell you, already there, in monocultural, married to the same group, it's, it's a mission. It's a mission of understanding these gender balances. How much more beyond gender balances, you have cultural balances. <laughs> when you try to say something, the person will say, but in my culture. <laughs> so I applaud you. You are, you are blessed. And, and, and that's how we should be doing life. Start relating, uh, relating with people of other races. For example, Mina, I, 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 don't, I don't subscribe to the whole idea of a dinner table. Because I never, I, I, I grew up not exposed to a dinner table. But my wife loved dinner tables. <laughs> to me, when, when, when we talk about a meal, I want to see everyone sitting relaxed and see how they carry the plate and dig deep there. For others, it's like, hey, man, but, but that's, not, that's not intimate. That's not, that's not proper. So that time we, we, we open ourselves, we start relations, we get to, to, to encounter our, our discomforts and we realize that our reality may not be the reality. It may just be narrowed by where we've been and where we've been situated. But another responsibility is that we have to raise children into adulthood. When we talk about children, we talk about biological children, we talk about spiritual children. Every one of us must be raising someone to adulthood. Because let me tell you, if you are not raising anyone, when you die, you will go to the grave with your legacy. No matter how powerful you are today, if you are not developing and transferring your skills to anyone, when you die, everything will be goodbye. Your impact will end on the day that will be put in your death certificate. What, what makes impact grow beyond a person is when you pour out yourself to other people and start raising people into adulthood in different spaces. It, it could be if you are a parent, raise your children, no matter how chaotic they are, love on them, raise them. If you are a leader, inspire. if you are a business person, or if you are a, 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 an administrator, wherever God has placed you, make sure that when you exit, there is continuity because you have raised others behind you into adulthood. But also, we are called by God to build strong families. That is why even as a spiritual family, we, we are pursuing becoming strong. That's why we have to have conflicts. That's why sometimes we will say things that you may not like because in the family there is always that part where we challenge each other we call out greatness from each other sometimes in calling out greatness i remember uh, how my mother used to do it when she was calling out greatness in me you know hey 
Hilton Sun, I don't like nonsense. She was calling out greatness in me. But how she would call it, she would start by rebuking. And when I'm frustrated, but, but what nonsense? Because what I'm doing, I think it's the proper one. And then when she starts schooling me, I discover that, oh, every time I do this thing, it annoys this one. So let me try and find a way of impressing. Sometimes, Barcelona, we will call you to prayer on Thursdays. And you look at your calendar, you look at your time, you feel like, no, come on, I'm tired. I'm tired. I want to pray, but I will pray at home. Let me tell you, what, what are we doing? We are making sure that we build a strong family. We are building some, 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 some habits that will help you. I used to say to students, sometimes you need to stop being a, an over-committed person who is over-busy. Because one day God will take you to Kuruman, where the nearest church is 70 k's away. So if you've been exposed to doing busy, on Monday you are in church, Tuesday you are in church, Wednesday you are in church, you are not doing relationships with anyone, you are not building anything, you don't have any activity. The only thing you know is just going for revival and excitement. When you come to Kuruman, (laughs) and you discover that the nearest church is 70 k's, and you are a Zulu who has never left KZN. <laughs> you only speak Zulu and English. And the only language they speak there is, 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 is Tswana and, 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 and Africans and some other Kurman languages. <laughs> you, you are in trouble. You are already doomed. And you discover that even Wi-Fi is not good. You can't even rely on podcasts. So, build strong families. Because when, when God moves us, the culture of building, of starting new relationships, will already be entrenched in us, Barcelona. One, one, let me tell you, one of the things, Mina, Mina I, I'm talkative, I know. But I was not this talkative before I encountered Christ. I was very timid. I was very weak. I was an angryist. My only communication was, I beat you if you cross my line. Because that was the only language I know. Violence, heat, sort out. <laughs> I remember even when I, when I got saved, when we used to be in crusade, I was an usher in a crusade. When, when a person is misbehaving, I, I don't even go and say, please stop misbehaving, I'll call him outside. And when they come back, they'll come back with tears of joy. <laughs> but let me tell you, the process of being shaped and built, I started being able to communicate. I started seeing a shift in my ability to start conversations. I started seeing a shift in me pursuing new relations. I was now able to share the love of God because there was something, I was, I was in a spiritual family. I was being open, I was being transparent. My anger, my rage, my frustrations were dealt with and I was now able to be a good citizen. For some of us, you attend church, you are still not a good citizen. You are still having those stereotypes because you are closed up. You are a city that is closed like Jericho. Let me tell you, we are going to keep on marching around until those walls fall. (laughs) We we will walk around, those walls will fall. Students are saying, fish must fall. China, we say, walls of being closed must fall. Christians who don't pursue relations, we are, say, we are telling you, we are watching you. <laughs> and we will maybe you are on number six. Seven is coming. <laughs> so through that, that's why we administer human relations. 
We steward the human relations. Sometimes people will wrong you. We don't run away. Let me tell you, sometimes it's very hard to go home. Some days. So I'm, I'm talking well because my mother is in the room. <laughs> and she will agree with me. Sometimes it's not easy to go home. Because hey, she discovered, hey, she asked, I don't want to talk about that thing. But let me tell you, we are called by God to administer human relations. You, you'll go, you have to go sometimes and confront those hard discussions. Have those hard conversations. I have seen students leaving us on campus because you just call them just for a coffee to say, Let, let's have that hard to hard conversation. They end up passing. <laughs> I remember Pumlani was sharing a story. There was this one talented person uh, we love so much and we, we, we're calling out leadership in this person. And then this person goes to Pumlani and said, look, I thought you guys were we're just relaxed and just a, a group of people who are having fun. You are too serious. I am living. So some people, anything that will open their lives. Sometimes when we ask you who do you stay with, it's not because we want to gossip. We really want to know what's happening in your life. When we ask you, hey, hey what's your favorite meal? We want to, we want to check if you do eat. So, if, 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 if human relations are administered, then we administer productivity. We become productive people. We become people that transfer some growth to others. And then, what everyone is talking about, justice. Justice will happen automatically because we value human life. You can't start from justice when you don't value relationships, when you don't value human life. So, we can't be that city which talks about justice. Justice should not be spoken about. Justice is an action word. Jesus did not say, I love you. I love you. No, he paid a price. Justice is a price paid for the love that we have in my time. How then do we build and get to that? As I was praying and preparing, I felt there are four principles that Steve Murrell uh, talks about in his book, The Multiplication Factor. But I don't want to talk about multiplication. I want to talk about a principle that we can when bring in as we become a, a model of transformation. The first principle he talks about is the process of identification. Where we need to identify and be solid in who we are. Master your identity. Because you, you, you can't transform anything and anyone if you don't know who you are. You can't be trusted in, in administering a huge change if you don't know who you are. The first thing you need to be able that you understand yourself, you are comfortable with who you are. I understand that I am a Zulu guy with a terrible English accent who enjoys talking and breaking English words to be comfortable around people so that they will not judge my English. I understand that I had a privilege of, 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 of being raised in, 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 in an environment that was hostile in an environment that was promoting me to be inferior. And that is why every time when that inferiority tries to emerge, I have to suffocate it because my identity is not in my background. But my background shaped who I am. I emerge from that background. I am not an oppressed. I am not a victim. I am not a person who carries around black pain. God healed me from black pain. I do identify with people who are still suffering from black pain, but hey, I've been delivered from black pain. I am not a bitter black. 
man. I am a godly black man who pursues relations, who trusts people because God created all people, who pursues relationships even in people who have a color of a person that I was, I was told and schooled that this is an oppressor color. I have friends who are white people, not because I, I, was, I was raised in an environment that loves white people. No, I was raised in an environment that says white people are evil. White people are, are oppressors. But let me tell you, I am friends with the people who have a color of my oppressor. Because they never oppressed me. Maybe people of their color oppressed me. And that was the transformation process of identifying my reality and my DNA and who am I. When I interact with people, I know. I, I, I grew up in a, in a township where there was, a, there was a, a slogan which was very stupid. Which is a stereotype which says, hey, if you want to survive in life, everyone, you must have your own Indian. <laughs> because there was an understanding that if you need anything, an Indian person will always make a plan. <laughs> make a plan. And let me tell you, I come from that, when I interact with my Indian counterparts, I am not interacting with make a plan. I'm interacting with a human being that is created by God. And I relate from a clean slate, not from the baggage of the past. I, my identity is not designed by what people say. It is designed by what God says. Who you are is not what you do. We also grew up in an environment where people were labeled with their profession, even in church. Can we have the school inspector pray? Can we have the clerk pray? We come from those backgrounds where people were valued based on their profession. May we have uh, uh, the business person, please? Uh, 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 business person, please come and pray. No, no, no. That's where we come from. But it says it, your identity is not what you do. Identity is unchanging. Being comes before doing. Who you are determines what you do. It's not what you do that determines who you are. I am a child of God. Therefore, my actions will reflect who my father is. Amen. And David puts it well in Psalms 139. Let me run. He says, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully uh, wrought in the lowest part of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. So this, this, psalm, is, this psalm is, David is actually saying, whatever happens in my life, I am not defined by the circumstances. Circumstances may be a reason or a product of my actions or my environment, but my identity is with the master. My identity is what God created me to be. And if he said to me, I am not the head, I'm not the tail, I'm the head, that's what I need to believe. If he says to me, I am his image, whatever people say, I am, I am his image. And then, the second one is instruction. Proverbs 9, verse 9 and 10, Uti, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will, be, he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and you will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One 
is understanding. So what is he saying is that if you are to transform society, be a person of instruction, allow instruction to come through you. Sometimes, you know, we think learning is for the, is for the young, but learning is a process that transforms everyone. We must allow God to keep on instructing us. It's, it's, it's very good that you come to church on Sunday and get the word, but it's not enough. You still need to, to acquire the word in your own space. You still need to get the word through the connect group. You need to plug into a connect group and be established in the faith and in relationships with other believers. One, 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 one um, scholar or teacher, I forgot his name. That's why I don't have the name there. But he says, learning is ever in the freshness of its youth, even for the old. No matter how old you are, there are new things that we'll always learn. I still learn even from my children. As young as they are, they still teach me. Because learning remains youthful, remains fresh, even to the old. And the third part is impartation. A man cannot impart the true feeling of things to others unless he himself has experienced what he is trying to tell Sometimes we want to see our world transformed. When people are corrupt, we want to see corruption fall. As long as we have never been in a space of defeating corruption in your own life, in your own thoughts, you can impart the value of honesty. If you have never dealt with hatred in your own heart, with stereotypes in your own heart, you will never empower anyone to defeat stereotypes. If you have never allowed God to take you through a journey of change and a mental shift, you will never take anyone there. Impartation, Bazalohane, is, is when you... It, it's, not, it's, not, it's not when, when I preach, you put money in my feet and then you get impartation. That's one of those gimmicks. I'm just going for impartation, man, of course. No, impartation is experiential. That's why we, we, we look up to some people who are discipling us. We get disciples. And that's why we are a church that makes disciples. That makes disciples. It's an, it's an unending chain. I disciple someone. I'm discipled by someone. Because my growth, my impartation has to come through an experience of being sharpened. Some things need to be exposed in me. Sometimes somebody must tell me, Hey, Lord, I can see you are very influential and busy. How is your family? How is your wife? How are your kids? How do you get that question? How are your studies? How is the relationship between you and your parents? How do you get that if you are not working with anyone? Impartation comes through a journey. It's your personal experience and it's also covered by people around you. You can't have impartation and experience impartation if you are a lone ranger. Lone rangers don't survive in this journey. Romans 1 speaks more of that, but See the benefit. Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts, so that you may be established. And then here, the second part, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Let me tell you, when, when we have connect groups or when we have meetings and gatherings, it's not about the one who is leading that the one who is leading is coming to teach us even when we preach when we prepare a preach you repent five times before you preach not unless, not unless you, you, are a, you are a speaker who is not a preacher for preaching sometimes you even look at this one 
But God, how can I say this? Because I think I'm the worst pun in this one. I think I'm more struggling in this. God, can you allow me not to say this to people? Because I don't want to be evaluated on what I've said. Because I know very well that I'm not even way, way close to that. So that, that, that's a process. And, 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 and impartation is not so much about the one who is receiving. It's more even about the one who is also releasing. Because as you release, you grow. That is why in the Philippines they've got this thing. They say, if you have been saved for three weeks, you are ready to start a connect group. Because you'll go with one-to-one. If you know two chapters, you can take your disciples in chapter one and come back for chapter three and go back and take them for chapter two. Because impartation is evolving. You give, somebody gives. So you can't be a spiritual obese believer who keeps on receiving, who is like a dead sea. There is nothing going out. There is no flow. You only get in. You attend every meeting, every church, every service. You are not giving to anyone. You are not discipling anyone. You are not supporting anyone. You are not counseling anyone. You are only complaining about nobody is paying attention to me. Who are you paying attention to? It's okay. We need to pay attention to you, but are you paying attention to anyone? Me, Pegamina Neto. Pegamina Neto Syndrome. No, we can't. And the last one, Mazalone, is internship. Utu N. Voskambuti practices the hardest part of learning. And training is the essence of transformation. Mazalone, one of the things that we are going to be doing this season as a church is that we will be having a lot of training. Ish. Yeah, discipleship right here. We'll be having a lot of training sessions, a number of things that will be happening. We are calling for, for, for people who want to take up uh, new connect groups, people who feel who want to be equipped uh, in discipling others, people who want to be equipped uh, in altar ministry, and a number of things that are happening in church. Do you know, it's not because uh, we, we, we are capable. No. We have been, imp- somebody has trained us and equipped us, and we equip others because practice is the hardest part of learning. But training is the essence of transformation. So if you want to transform your life and transform others, allow some input, allow some equipping. That is why we go and we study. Eh? Hi. I have never seen a doctor who just go and say, with, without, without going through training and internship and, and just go into a, in, into a hospital and say, look, I've arrived. I'm a doctor from heaven. God has anointed me. Things are going to be happening. I am here to operate. I will run for my life. I trust God. Bear in mind, I'm a believer. I trust God. If a person just comes and say, without training, God has, 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 has landed me here to, to, to operate you, I will tell you, hey, I will talk to God. <laughs> Training is essential. That is why even, even for us as preachers, some of you think, hey, preaching is easy. Let me tell you, preaching is hard. Because it's a training that also deals with your heart. Go and ask people who are auditors. They tell you, it's very hard to go and audit people's lifestyles and firms if you know that your life is, is not in a... <laughs> because... Even our careers, God has allowed them to shape us, to train us. And Jesus is saying, I am calling you to a great training. Uti, in Matthew 4, verse 18 and 20, as we close. 
And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately after left their nets and followed him. The essence of this scripture is that for us to be able to be followed, for us to be able to be seen or to bring in that transformation that we desire, the biggest journey is, is, is the one of following diligently. Following Christ means you follow his way, you follow his orders, you follow his practice, you pursue his heart, you learn kingdom ways. Your giving is not as per the world. Your praying is not as per the world. Your relations are not as per the world, but they are inspired purely by the word of God and by the, the, the plan that Christ has for you. And, 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 and that was alone. The only way for us to see transformation is for us to be able to keep on allowing God to release new things in our lives. People who are already mature, who have reached complete maturity, I always say we need to pray for them to rest. Because in this world, people that will transform are people who are constantly in a growing process. They equip, they mature, but maturity is never ending. It, it, it graduates. You move from one layer to the next. And the example that I have, that I want us to pray around, is in Second Kings chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. I'm not going to read it, but I'll just tell the story. When, when, when the prophet Elisha met this uh, widow who, who was struggling and he asked for food, and this widow said, look, I've got only something left for me uh, and my son to, to eat and die. And then he asked him to give that to him first. And then after that, he said, bring that oil and then go out uh, to the neighbors and collect as many containers as you can. Because I just want to release. God wants to bless you and do something. The Bible says, if you read the last verse, oh, okay, let me just read this. Too. It's go around, ask for all, all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask just a few. Then pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it on one side. Her son brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to, he, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. The only thing that can stop us from transforming our world is not that we are not praying. Is that we are already full. Is that we, are, we, we have already arrived. We no longer have capacity to allow God to bring in new things. The flow of the oil, which was a miracle in this family, was dependent on the availability of empty vessels. Sometimes we miss opportunities of changing our environment because we are full of things and we don't have space for new things. And I just want to say, as a church, as a family, as we grow together, as we build together, we can offer the world what we don't have. We can't offer the world what we are not pursuing. I, I want us to pray for God to help us to, to open our eyes to see in our lives spaces where we can open room 
for more oil to flow. We are not about just num- growth in numbers. We are about growth in lifestyle, growth in impact, growth in influence, growth in, 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 in every area of life as people who are saying, Lord, we don't want to die full. We want to die empty because whatever you give, we want to transfer to the next generation. Shall we rise as we pray? This scripture has been beating me to say, if we are to really transform and shape the world, may we find space, may we find areas, or may we find room in our hearts for God to keep on pouring something. Let me tell you, some, sometimes what God is going to pour in your life will disturb your routine. Sometimes what God is going to bring into your life will disturb what you already know. For some of us, our schedules are very tight. We have no room for other people or for other things. But I really feel like God is saying there is, there is an anointing flow of transformation. But it will only happen fully when we have allowed God to fill our cups and keep on filling it as we transfer what God is doing to our lives to other people. As we, as we share the experience that we have with God, as we share our faith, as we share our testimony, as we practically do things that we want to see in our world, as we start treating people fairly, as we start respecting people, as we start by honoring people, God will transfer it. And, and the minute we close the lid, it stops. I have not arrived. I am very far from getting there. I still want God to do it and do it for me. I just want us to, to bring ourselves before God. If, if there is an area where you need to repent in all that God has been saying, you may do so. If there is an area where you just want to say, Lord, may, may, may you just strengthen me in this one aspect. I just want us to, in our own words, in our own, in our own way, just take a few minutes just to speak to God and tell him where we are and what we are calling trusting him to do. Father, we thank you.